I'm Emily. And I'm Joni. And this is the Grow Where You're At podcast. Where we discuss all things Appalachian and country. Now set your cell phone down and learn a thing or two. And maybe laugh a time or two. Now let's hop to it. It's good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's about the only way to be, ain't it? It is. It is. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Me too. I think I think I'm here. <laughs> I know, we've been experiencing difficulties. Please stand by. Yes, for real. I honestly was a little concerned that we weren't going to be able to get this podcast recorded today, but we're here. We're here. We're going to make the best of it. We are. So, we're going to jump into a blooming minute. We are. What 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 you got going on? Oh, uh, I thought you were going first. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Harvest is still in full swing. I have today. I picked an extra five gallons of tomatoes to make sauce with. Plus, I have a. Mm, probably two dozen green peppers to work up and I have sunflower seeds I got today. My sunflowers, I harvested those for seeds. I harvested some of my amaranths today for seed. Um, so I'm going to try to get all that worked up tomorrow. Plus corn is ready. I worked up half of it uh, probably a couple days ago. So corn Carrots, um, tomatoes, green peppers. Trying to get the rest of harvest in. We are getting ready to experience a little rain where we're at. So, yeah, harvest. It's busy season. (laughs) How about yourself? It is. Well, I've been doing kind of the same. I think Saturday I wound up canning 17 pints of just tomato sauce, just like plain tomato sauce. And I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Granted, my garden has given me just a little bit of a break, but I know it won't be long until I'm, once again, swamped and overloaded with produce. Not that it's a bad thing, but sometimes it's just overwhelming. It is. But I don't think I have quite as much going on as you do garden-wise at the current moment, but I'm a few weeks behind you sometimes, too, so. Yes. So, probably next week is when yours is going to start hitting. Oh, yeah, I'm sure probably next week mine will start hitting again because my peppers have bloomed two or three times this year already. And so I know that I, it's not going to be long before I'm bombarded with peppers again. Yes. I had 
I think I've got four, maybe five gallons of green peppers I've put away in the freezer. And then I did another picking today, and then they're still blooming. And it's like seeking you shall find because the bounty overflows. <laughs> I've exactly. got everything. Everything has produced very well for us this year. We are beyond blessed with those things that the Creator and Mother Earth wants to give us. But sometimes, sometimes it gets a little much. So we just have to remember to knock it down to one thing at a time. Yes, because if you knock it down to one thing at a time, it's like one thing you can check off that to-do list. Yes. And it's okay if you have to add it on the to-do list just to cross it out. I support that. Yes, I got dressed. Check. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but I am not going to be one of those people that lies about that. Sometimes I will be gardening in my pajamas because it is so much more comfortable. <laughs> I feel so much more productive if I just go out there and garden in my house dress. Exactly. It's like if I'm in like one of my pajama dresses or whatever and I've got my little garden apron and I'm in the garden, it's like my most productive days. It's like forego like all the standard practices of clothing just go as you are and be one with the garden and get her done <laughs> and i i tend to agree those are sometimes my absolutely most productive days is when i'm just out there in my little i have a night dress that i sleep in and i if i've got my night dress on then i'm very productive in the garden but if i've actually got clothes on i'm not nearly as productive those are the usually because of those are the days that we've had to do other things. Yes, yes. And if we stay I, in our pajamas, nobody can ask us to go anywhere or do anything, and they know we're not going to go anywhere or do anything except for garden work that day. Exactly. I have on my house dress. You can forget me going absolutely anywhere. Exactly. You make a coffee run for us, honey. Oof. <laughs> Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm excited too. I um have been fussing at Davy to build me one of these for like three years and I've threatened to start taking matters into my own hands if he doesn't build me one. I understand and what we're the point. About is do you, do you want to give it away? Or do you want me to give it away? You do it. Oh, I don't know. I want to do it. <laughs> oh, today's topic's going to be root cellars and dehydration, which are both one of your handiest, handiest things to have around the homestead. Have around, whether it's a small homestead, whether you're wherever you're at, these are two things that you can do no matter where you live. And, and no it's, matter where you're at on your homesteading journey. Yes, you can live in an apartment and still do root cellar techniques and dehydration. You can live in a mobile home. You can live in a 
middle of a city and you can live in the middle of nowhere. And all these techniques of root cellar and dehydration are techniques that anybody can use. Exactly. And I agree. I threatened uncle with a shovel and I'm like, you don't like me doing like the outdoor kind of worky stuff. I will start digging a hole if I do not get a root cellar eventually. <laughs> oh, I threatened Davey. I said, listen, you can either build me a root cellar. I'm going to start digging holes in the yard. Do you want me to dig holes in the yard so I can root cellar my, my, my root crops? No. Yes. I'll build okay. Try me. You know I'm crazy. There is actually a guy on YouTube, and I will find that video and send it to you, Emily, and maybe we could link it. There is yes, a guy on YouTube, if anybody wants to watch it, who has made root cellars out of some of the coolest things. They're upcycled materials. Um, he made one from like a 55-gallon food-grade plastic barrel, just dug a hole and planted that thing. Um, there's so many, so many options for a root cellar. And a lot of us, especially in our area, think of the old root cellars our, our grandparents had or our parents had or whoever had. And, you know, those are the ones in our area, especially, you know, they had to be below the frost line and, you know, they were made out of wood and they had solid roofs and things like that. But there are more options for root cellars. So when we say root cellar, it does not necessarily mean a brick and mortar kind of building no the root cellar that we had growing up and they always just called it the cellar was actually just where somebody had boxed in under our front porch and they had boxed it in and it stayed a pretty much a constant temperature all the time and that's what we used as our root cellar it wasn't actually a fully underground structure yes and you know in going through and researching, you know, despite the fact that, you know, we know what roof sellers are to us, we do research these things before we try to tell people about them. And, you know, and going through research, they've called them, you know, potato sheds in certain regions of the U.S. Um, you know, a lot of Fruit places. Sheds. Yes. And, you know, there's different names for it, but anything... Basically, a root cellar is an underground or partial underground structure to help hold your root vegetables, fruits, nuts, and other foods. My granny had one, and we didn't call it a root cellar. We called it a can house. But, I mean, it makes sense because we didn't just store root vegetables in our cellar. We stored all of our canned goods down there because it stayed almost a constant temperature year-round. Yes. I mean, you would walk when I was and I'm giving away some mage because these are some of the practices that are not so common anymore. But when I was younger and, you know, my grandma, she had everything in there. She had all of her canned goods on shelves. She had meats in there. She had, you know, bagged stuff hanging, you know, in mesh bags. And it was just she had her leather breeches in there. She had onions in there, apples in there. 
you name it. And then, you know, if you listen to Papa, my father-in-law, if you listen to him talk about days when he was younger and they had just like a box built into the ground with like a trap door on it where they buried their stuff just in like a wooden box in the ground. They would. And I remember him telling stories about how they would dig holes below the frost line and line it with tin and line it with straw and put their stuff in there and top it with straw, top it with tin and just cover it back up. They remember where they buried it so they could in in the winter, they would dig it back up. Yes. He was actually we were just talking about that but uh, today on account of the fact that I told him it was going to snow a lot this winter. I mean, on all the predictive things that we see and he was talking about it snowed and he couldn't see the fence posts anymore and him and a couple of his brothers went out and were trying to guess about where the box was. <laughs> I do remember that story. Um, but yeah, um, so it all- root cellars are controlled temperatures and steady humidity and, you know, there's a lot of disagreement there on how cold it's supposed to be. Yeah, I was about to say, in general, it's it's some kind of structure or some kind of, even if you want to call it a device, if you put, like that guy was putting the 55-gallon tub in the ground, if you, you just kind of have some structure that's a controlled temperature and humidity. It's a controlled environment done by Mother Nature herself. Yes, and, you know, uh, below the frost line, the, the ground is going to stay uh, warmer than it is above and so your things aren't going to freeze, but they're going to stay cold enough that they're not going to spoil. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and. and... Go ahead. Continue. I was going to say, and you were saying that there's a lot of controversy and sometimes some disagreement about temperatures and humidities and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, around here, I think usually you're wanting it to just be below the frost line and it's like 55 to 60 degrees. However, when we were doing research, we found everything from certain people saying it needed to be 32 to 35 degrees. Some people were saying 65 to 70 degrees. So, I mean, it really depends on your area, I suppose. And also how harsh your winters are and how harsh your summers are if you're going to use it year-round. So, again, that's one of those things that everybody's going to have to research for themselves. And, I mean, it's not just, you know, we're, we're talking about from our area, but, like, if you live somewhere where it's really arid, you're going to have to do more extensive research, and you may not be able to just go dig a hole in the ground. You know, it may take some more building and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you can't do it because there are, other ways to mimic a root cellar without actually having to root cellar it in a yes. separate structure. Yes. Closets, crawl spaces, garage, sheds, under a bed. Attics. Attics are iffy to me. Under a bed, in your closet. Yes. My grandpa used to put tomatoes. He would pick tomatoes that were still a little green. Um, when the frosts were coming and he would put them in a box and he would put them under his bed until they ripened. 
I have heard of many of people do that. Yes. And, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, it extends your harvest. You can get those things and put them away for a week or two, you know, especially tomatoes. Like if you pick them green, it takes them a week or two to har- uh, to ripen up. And it gives you a little bit more time to work those things than trying to rush and wait until they're ripe. So. I pick my tomatoes when they look almost, when they've got that white color to them, when they're green, but they're almost getting ready to turn when they started to actually get that I call them white tomatoes and y'all can come at me but I'm going to ignore you but I call them white tomatoes and it's before they turn to the yellow or the orange or the red or whatever color they're going to be they get that milky looking color to them and that's usually when I pick mine yeah um, you know a lot of our larger heirloom breed of tomato and especially when we head into late summer here, we get a lot more water, a lot more rain. And so those tomatoes tend to split and stuff really quickly if you leave them on the vine. So I'm in the same boat. We pick at, you know, the first sign of color on that tomato. I will pick those usually and put them in a bucket or whatever or a box and bring them in the house. Except for, you know... I'll leave a few to just ripen on the vine, but most of them get picked and brought in so that way I can have them on hand so that rainy day that comes and I'm like, okay, I need to do something. I've got my tomatoes to work up. Right. But we're off topic. (laughs) I was about to say, we're getting a little distracted. We are, but that's okay. But, But it goes along with what we're saying and what we're talking about. And it kind of like, if you root cellar it, or some people may call it cold storage, that preserves that particular fruit or vegetable or root in its most purest form. And it preserves more nutrients than other preservation methods. This is going to keep the most nutrients in your food that you possibly can. Yes, because it's basically just the fresh from garden to table. I mean, basically, you're just giving it a pit stop in a cool area for a while until you're ready to use it. And then I feel like one of those things that we do need to talk about, though, is, you know, what all we have seen be put in said cold storage. And, you know, commonly that's used for anything... And the reason they're called a root cellar, anything that is a root vegetable. So your potatoes, onions, garlic, carrots, parsnips, turnips, beets. And then you have things like squash, cabbage, um, canned goods, canned houses, you know, those kind of things. And in the old days, a lot of people would salt cure and sugar cure meat and put those in their root cellars as well. Yes. Because, I mean, it keeps it in that humid and cold environment. So, yes. Low light, and, low temp, and high humidity. And mind you, the squash he's talking about is not your summer squash. It's going to be your, your winter squash, your really hard squash, like pumpkins, patty pan squash, like butternut, butternut squash, spaghetti squash. And yes. they'll 
in the properly chilled and controlled environment that you're looking for in a root cellar, they'll last anywhere from six to eight months. Or that's what we found in research. Yeah, I mean, and that will vary depending on your situation. I mean, that's one of those things you're not going to just throw it somewhere and leave it for eight months and be like, oh, these ladies on this podcast told me it would be in fine till today. No. <laughs> no, you, you got to check on it. You got to make sure there is no, if you notice no that rot, it's starting no to spoilage. no rot, foliage, if you notice that it's starting to get squishy or something like that, either use it or pitch it. Yes, there is, there are always telltale signs. You are going to want to check on this stuff at least, you know, once a week, if not more. Um, and especially in those months where it's really warm or it's really cold. The cold, I wouldn't say you would have to check on too much. But when it gets starting to get warmer and things like that, those are when you're going to experience more of your spoilage. Right. But we also have to throw in spring houses, which is the type of root cellar. That a lot of people used to use in our rural area that where we're at. And we actually still have, at my mom and dad's house, they actually still have part of the spring house. It kind of looks like it's falling down now. But if you actually open the door, it's still got part of that whole spring house set up to where you can still put your stuff in the spring or next to the spring. And they stay very, very cool. Yes. And... Your great aunt, or you know, um, your great aunt still has an intact spring house that still gets used sometimes. So, um, and those are things where you know, when the rural area before electricity was here, you know, they had to have somewhere to keep their, you know, family dairy cows' milk and cream and things like that, and the butter, and so they would go sit them. And they would make like a trough and it would have cool running water and little dividers and they would set their stuff in there to keep it cool with the spring water. They would. And it's probably some of the coldest water I've ever felt in my life. Yes. And, you know, I know that's not something that's going to be used a lot by everyday but we- people, but... If we have any preppers or people like that listening, you know, that is something that people who are like me, I'm kind of a prepper. So it's something that it's a good tidbit of knowledge that people need to know. Agreed. Agreed. Because I may not necessarily use like a spring house, but our water troughs here are spring fed. And if I need to cool a drink down or something like that, and I'm down there working in one of our working pens or I'm out in the field or something like that, I will put my drinks in that trough and they will stay cold. You will not know that it is 85 degrees outside because that drink is almost icy. Yes. And there have been many a time where you go through... And I don't know, I'm a little bit older than you, so you might remember this, but you might not. But, 
you know, we live in the mountains and there's plenty of springs that come through and you will still find, although a lot of people have stolen them lately, but you will still find that odd ladle hanging in a tree or on a rock where people have stopped to get a drink of water from those springs. And you've never tasted cleaner, colder water. I remember there being a, a ladle hanging in a spring house um, before they tore that particular spring house down up the road from where I grew up. And I remember it was dented and all kinds of stuff on the bottom of it. But it was like, in my eyes, it was the most beautiful ladle I'd ever seen. And that water, there's just something different about good spring water. Yes, from an icy metal ladle. And it's just like, it just hits different. <laughs> There's no bottle of water on this earth that will compare to drinking from. You don't know who all has drunk from this metal ladle, but it does not matter on a hot day. It is good. <laughs> it is good. It is good. And that kind of brings us to, to back to what else can we store in cellars or how else can we store cellars? Or use the root cellaring methods to kind of keep some of our stuff from going bad. Yes. Because, you know, cold water, cold air, anything. Basically, what we're trying to say is a root cellar is spring houses, underground, dark, cool area of your home. Right now, I do not have a root cellar. It is a project for our little homestead that has not made it to fruition. I mean, as most of you know, building materials are crazy. So anyway, I have a, a pantry room and my potatoes are stored in there with a dark cloth over them in baskets and the fan on and it keeps them cool and that will last me through winter. I've been doing it that way for about 15 years. And, I mean, honestly, it works for me. It might work for you. And as of right now, I still have not dug my potatoes. And you know what? They're sitting in the ground. I need to dig them, but they're sitting in the ground right now. And they're deep enough in the ground that they're actually just root cellaring themselves until I have enough time to go out there and dig them all and bring them in and put them in the proper storage area. Same. I, well, not with potatoes. My my carrots are like that. They're about to finish off. They're dying back. But at this point, they're just root cellaring themselves. <laughs> they are. And so if you guys don't get a chance to, I don't know, dig your potatoes, as long as they're buried underground, if you're like, I just don't have time to do this, go out there and make sure you've got some kind of protective barrier over the top of them. Let them sit where they're at. As long as you don't have a really 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 heavily moist winter don't don't rush yourself trying to get those taters out of the ground they'll root cellar themselves but always do your research yes i mean and i my grandma used to pull cabbage up by the root and turn it over and plant the head back down in the hole and cover it up with dirt and then when the snow came and she needed cabbage you'd go out there and she'd send you out there to find a root and pull it up and it was just basically a root cellar cabbage in the garden. Yep. So don't freak yourselves out if you don't have, quote unquote, a proper root cellar or a proper storage space. 
just do do some more extensive research for your area and just go with it. Grow where you're at? Grow where you're at. A root cellar can be anything as long as you follow the basic rules. Keep it cool. Keep it dark. Keep it yes. some, with some high humidity. That's all yes. you got to do. Which leads us on to topic number two of tonight, which is, well, I say tonight because we record. I'm sorry, y'all, but we were recording this at 11 p.m., um, which yeah. is about the only time of day that we both are able to get caught up enough to record these. So if I say it at night, I'm very sorry. Uh, but it's real and it's raw. <laughs> it is. But let's talk about dehydration. Um, and dehydration is one of the best tools that people can have other than cellaring because the fact of dehydration is one of your cheapest, safest, most viable methods of food preservation. And it has been done for so long. I mean, eons of people have dehydrated food. They have. They have. So, I think we're going to talk about these from the most affordable frugal methods to the most expensive. I would agree with that, yes. Okay. Um, so, then that case, we need to start about air dry. Um, I air dry all of my herbs, my seeds. Um, I air dry green beans for seed. Of course, I stitch them on a string and call them, we call them leather breeches. But you can use those beans for soup beans or you can use them for seed to plant the next year. So those are air dried. Um, my herbs and such, I usually put those in like um, a clean old sock <laughs> and just hang them up. It's something to keep the bugs off, keep the to keep the seed contained when it starts to fall off when it's drying. But basically, you know, some of your more like woody herbs like basil, stuff like that that holds together a lot better. You can just string up and hang somewhere in your house where it's going to get good air circulation. Like right now, I have the window that's in the front in the living room. I have thyme, oregano, and basil sprigs all hanging from that curtain, my curtain rod here in my living room. And that's because I get a lot of airflow right through there, but it's also convenient and up out of the way. But exactly. I just have them tied by their, the end of their stems hung upside down, and they're just there with a string. It's nothing extravagant. It's nothing fancy. It's just basic drying them out until the moisture is removed, and they're a little bit crumply on me. And then I just put them, in, put them in jars and put them in the freezer or put them in a bag and put them in the freezer just to kind of keep them fresher longer. Exactly. And I mean... Air dry works really well for, you know, all those herbs. And it works good for, um, if you can do it in your area, again, 
we're just trying to give y'all some basic guidelines, but please research this. Do not take us for the gospel because we, we're just telling you our experiences on this stuff. And but, we're learning more stuff every day, too. So, you guys, we're sharing what we know with you. Yes. And we do research, like we said, you know, we do research this. A lot of it, though, they're going to tell you now that it's not recommended. So, but, you know, I've had people, you know, the, a lot of the country hams are hung in smoke or dry houses or ham houses where it's just basically letting those salt covered or sugar covered hams just hang in air dry. And, you know, air dry has been used so long and then you've got solar dry, which is basically, you know, you dip a tomato, cut a tomato in half and dip it in salt and lay it out in the sun where it's getting a breeze and your solar air drying tomatoes and a lot of people in certain countries still practice those techniques. They do. They do. And I think they're um, cool, by the way. Yes. I think it's awesome. And I wish we could do that here. <laughs> I was about to say, our climate and our environment just really doesn't allow us to be able to do that without us standing there over top of it and keeping all the bugs off of it. Even if we have screens and we take all the precautionary measures... It just doesn't let us do that here. So, no, because we're that uh, sort that has the really cold winters and the really hot, humid summers. <laughs> we are. There is no in between. No, we're either hot and humid, or we're cold and wet. Humid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. We have to talk about microwave because it was a recommended type of dehydration when we research this i would not personally ever ever microwave something to dehydrate it but <laughs> if you do it successfully i am proud of you and i want to know how it actually works because upon looking it up it says a small amount of herbs and greens only would work in a microwave and at times you can get it to be tasting overcooked rather than just dehydrated. But I can't. And more, no more than like four or five stems of an herb, uh, microwave for two to three minutes, and then 30 second intervals after that until it's dry. And personally, I mean, with herbs, if I'm going to use them fresh, I can use them fresh. And if I'm not going to use them fresh and I'm going to keep them for storage, why not just air dry? That's my whole thing. Like, there is no reason that I would microwave any kind of herb. Grant you, I don't have a microwave. I don't have a microwave. But there's no reason I would put any kind of herb in the microwave. Like, that puzzles me. But... It is, an, it is a recommended method, so, you know, if somebody is out there microwaving herbs and you have success with it, please tell me. I want to know how it works. Yes. We love learning new things. We promise. <laughs> I promise we do. I learn something new every day. So. And if we don't, it's been a bad day. <laughs> yes, it's been a very bad day, and then we've still learned something probably the hard way that day. 
<laughs> but um, nutrient loss during dehydration is only five to eight percent. And so if we're talking in instances of how much nutrient um, retention we're going to get in our produce and our goods, you know, we want those antioxidants. We want those minerals. We want those vitamins. Those are the things that sustain our bodies. And if that is what we're looking for, dehydration is an essential route for that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I mean, there's a, a reason that, you know, back in the day, you know, military outfits had, you know, dehydrated meats and vegetables and things like that because they needed the fortification to go forward. Yes. But basically, um, dehydration is... 85 to 95% of moisture removal, I think. And yes. you have the options, you know, of an average of 50 to $150, you can get a dehydrator. Um, the big A to Z online shopping. That we're not uh, sponsored by. Yeah, we're not going to say that name, but it's a forest. <laughs> Yes, but they um, have some pretty decently priced dehydrators. If you're in the market for a dehydrator and you want to kind of like dip your toes in there, you're not going to spend a small fortune on it. Yeah, what what were we saying the average was on that? Like 50 Anywhere or... between around $40, $50 up to 100 150 It depends on the kind of grade the hydrator you choose um i'll tell you mine i bought for like close to the 50 dollar range i believe and i have used that thing non-stop i almost did not buy one i thought oh my goodness this is one of those expenses where i'm going to regret buying it because it's going to just sit there but i Honestly, cannot tell you how many times I have used my dehydrator. Oh, I know. We used one all the time growing up. Yes, because you've got, especially for us, you know, deer jerky is a holy grail in our area. If you've got deer jerky, everybody's your friend. <laughs> if you hold, if you've got a box, if you've got a bag of deer, deer jerky, you hold the power. Yes. And, and you're waiting for them to just be like, okay, I want my jerky back before you eat the whole bag. Yes. Yes. It's just like, okay, like, I offer you a piece of jerky. I literally mean a piece, not five pieces, a piece. Give it back. Yes. Um. But you can dehydrate pretty much anything. Um, I'm a sucker for fruit leather. I'm just saying it. Oh, my gosh. If anybody has children who eat those, what are those things called? Fruit roll-ups. That, yep, fruit roll-ups. If you have never tried fruit leather, oh, 
My goodness. Fruit uh, leather is super easy to make. It is super delicious. I, I mean, and if you have a dehydrator with a tray liner, it takes like a couple presses of a button on most of these dehydrators, and you've got a healthy, pure snack for you or your kids. In anywhere between 4 and 10 hours at 140 degrees Fahrenheit to 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Four hours for fruit leather. Count me in. Yes, and, yes, and you can make fruit leather out of any fruit. Yeah. Uh, you're basically just going to puree down like anything and spread it out really thin and put it on dehydrate. And once it's growing up, my mom could barely get it out of the dehydrator before I was eating it. I don't care that you just got it out. I'm eating it. And yes. it's going to be translucent and slightly tacky to the touch. But you're going to be able to easily peel it from the pan or whatever kind of liner that you have in your dehydrator. You're going to be able to peel it off fairly easy. It shouldn't stick. Yes, if it sticks, you've got to go a little bit longer on your dehydration. But it shouldn't crumble like brittle either. It's There's a happy meat to be tacky. Yeah, like a, fr uh, what'd you call it? A fruit roll-up. A fruit roll-up. Yes, that's what you're shooting for with fruit leather. Is you want it to But. But. Go ahead. I was going to say, but. Fruit leathers, herbs, um, buttermilk to make buttermilk powder, eggs to make egg powder that are more shelf-stable. Um, I have made tomato powder or tomato-based powder where if I need a little bit of tomato sauce or tomato juice or a little bit of extra tomato flavoring for a soup or a stew, I've got that on hand. Um, I made beetroot powder in my dehydrator. Um, just for to have on hand for coloring um, like pickled eggs I've got it for a natural dye um, I mean the possibilities of a dehydrator are endless literally endless and if you guys don't have it in your budget right now to purchase a dehydrator it is possible to dehydrate you just have it's a little more labor intensive than just popping it in the dehydrator and walking away yes um, I did forget to put that on there uh, in my notes, but yes, oven dehydration. Um, before I got my dehydrator, I did use my oven for like jerky and things like that. It's just a lot easier, you know, on like making fruit leathers and things like that to actually have a dehydrator. But your oven is usually on your lowest heat setting you can get, and it's a little bit of a longer time period most of the time. It's usually about 12 to 16 hours. And you have to go in there and you have to like crack the oven door ever so often or open the oven door to get some circulation and some ventilation going in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, in the long run with a dehydrator, you know, it saves on the electric bill. <laughs> it, I mean, it really does. If you look at operating, you know, something for 
to 10 hours or sometimes from 10 to 14 hours depending on what you're making jerky requires 10 to 14 hours at 145 degrees but if you run that small little device for that amount of time or you're looking at having to run your oven for 14 i mean honestly running that oven is going to be a whole lot more expensive than what it is for you to run that little bitty dehydrator yes so the amount of savings alone in energy cost is, you know, it makes a small dehydrator worth it. I was but then we have to talk about the big boy drawer that is getting all the rage here lately. Yes. And that's the almighty freeze dryer. Yes. And those are... What did we decide the average price on those were? A hundred to two hundred minimum, up to like two, four, six thousand dollars. Yes, depending on the grade, depending on the size, depending on the quality that you get, and that's just not something that I personally, at this point in time, can justify. However, I am envious of those that do have to have that happen to have one. Same, I am. I am intrigued by freeze-drying. I have never tried freeze-drying. We did touch base a little bit on this in our previous episode. You know, most of your military MRE meals, meal ready to eat, your survival preparedness foods, um, a lot of your novelty foods now are freeze-dried. I was about to say, sometimes you can get freeze-dried fruit, and it's more of like a puffy texture. Rather than yeah, that, um, that hard, chewy, dehydrated feel and taste. Yeah, we went into town today and I saw a bag of freeze-dried candy and I almost got it just for the fact that I wanted to try it. But I didn't. I, I've tried some freeze-dried strawberries and they're pretty good, but they just don't do it for me like a dehydrated strawberry would. But that's not to say if I had a freeze-dryer, I wouldn't use it because I would use that thing for everything. Yes, and, you know, uh, honestly, if you've got a freeze dryer, it does remove more of the moisture. And with dehydration, moisture is the enemy of dehydration. And you want to remove as much retained water out of your whatever. Um, So a regular dehydrator removes like 85 to 95%. Freeze dryer removes like 99%. It can remove up to 99% of the moisture. But if you live here and the humidity's high, I don't know how that will hang you out. Get rid of 99% of the moisture in nothing around here yeah. and keep it no. out. No. Um, but if it's an option for you and you can justify the cost of the machine and you're doing it successfully, hats off to you. I want to know how much you actually use your freeze dryer and what is the coolest thing you've made in your freeze dryer. Yes, please, 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 please tell us how that freeze dryer works. So I think that has covered... The second part of the food preservation series where we covered root cellars and dehydrators. It does. And 
So next week, I think we're going to go on to um, freezing and vacuum sealing. Is that right, Emily? Yes, ma'am. I just looked back at my notes at freezing and vacuum sealing. And then we'll go from there. But freezing and vacuum sealing shouldn't shouldn't be scary either. I don't I don't want anybody to think, oh goodness. But dehydration and cellaring cool cold storage are some of the most frugal, affordable, user-friendly ways to preserve food. And we want everybody to take advantage of what Mother Earth can give you and what you can preserve. And that little bit of sustainability and food preservation can help everybody. It can. And I'm, like I said earlier, I love dehydrated fruit and fruit leather. So I'm a huge advocate for dehydration. And now I'm going to have to make you some fruit leather. <laughs> I love fruit leather. Like, I will it's, eat it till I get sick. It's on to, it's on to the barter list. Oh, and our barter list. Our ever-growing barter list. Yes. And we, we do practice the trade and barter system for the listeners. I forgot for a moment. <laughs> we trade and barter between our homesteads and Emily trades and barters with some of her neighbors and I trade and barter with some people around me but a lot of times Emily and I will trade and barter with each other she is a amazing fabric artisan and she can crochet knit stitch sew quilt all that good stuff that I do not have the hand-eye coordination to do so it's on my to learn list but i will trade emily makes these amazing washcloths and pot scrubbers and she gave me one to test out and i absolutely fell in love with it she she does amazing and so so far i am up to i think i'm trading you some loofah and some catfish for another two wash rags yes and don't don't let Joni over here shortchange herself because I told her I said I made this I need you to go test it out I need you to put it through the ringers test it out and make sure it's going to stand up so and she said she's, she's really like she's my product tester to make sure that I stitched it correctly honey you do not need a product tester. You were you gave me something high quality and you made me feel really nice about it and I really hated to use it the way I did, but I was so happy with that rag. I immediately told Emily, I'm like, Okay, we're bartering on this because I need more of these. Because at my age and I'm sure somebody else out there will understand and Emily she she knows this too. But when you get of a certain age, you're going to have that favorite rag that you're going to use for your dishes. And let me tell you, the handmade one by Emily, that is where it's at. Oh, well, thank you. I have my favorite washcloths, too. <laughs> yes, and you make so much pretty stuff. 
But I try. I digress. <laughs> We're on I to our growing minute. We are on to our growing minute. I think I just mm. want to grow throughout this week and survive this week. And um, I'm just going to try to keep keep going with the vegetables that I know are getting ready to explode. So I'm just trying to mentally prepare myself for those. And I piddle with my yarn work and fabric work in the evenings to unwind. Joni, what's your growing I, minute? I am super proud of you. And I just hope you know that. <laughs> and I'm sorry well, I, for I, saying that on our podcast, but... No, but I'm always thankful to hear that from you. My growing minute is to try and accept those things I cannot change this week. (laughs) Um, And to realize that it's okay that things are not going the exact way that I would hope they do. But everything will work out in the end. And to just keep ticking off my to-do list a little at a time. I love that. I love that. Well, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, too. (laughs) But I like that because I feel like we get overwhelmed. And we can't always change what's going on. Particularly in harvest season. Yes. So... I like that. You know, originally on my list of to-dos, which I thought I was going to have to do this week, I was planning on harvesting my corn today and my carrots today so I could process those. I had a batch of sauce that I made that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to do. And so I ended up harvesting more of the tomatoes we traditionally sell to local markets. And... I'm going to have to cut into that area of revenue that we have to replace our own stock. So it was a little bit of a wrench into my plan, but it's okay. And it's okay. And I'm just going to go with it. It's okay. (laughs) It is okay. A positive attitude is worth a million dollars. That's all it is. You just have to have a positive attitude about anything. Yes, even if you're positive that it's not going the way you want it to do. At least you're being positive about something. Yes, ma'am. And I think that's our wind-up for the night. It is. For the the podcast, for the... (laughs) For this episode. Yes. But I'm glad we got to talk to people about our cold storage and our root cellar and our dehydration. Yes. Please remember to grow where you're at. Just because Becky next door has a freeze dryer does not mean you have to have a freeze dryer. Just because Bobby down the road's got a big giant root cellar does not mean you have to have a root cellar. (laughs) You just got to grow where you're at and do what's best for you and your family. Exactly. And so until next week when we get to talk to you about Freezing, vacuum sealing, and other such goodies. Remember to grow where you're at. Bye.
thanks for joining us today. It's real and it's raw. Now go forth and be barefoot and feral. And most importantly, remember to grow where you're at. Bye.